Okay, welcome everybody. So, um, I don't know if everyone knows what the topic is tonight. Honoring parents. So, um, I feel like it's a loaded subject. <laughs> um, and it stirs up all kinds of emotions, positive and negative, everything and everything in between, right? Everything combined. Um, and it's, it's something that um, I personally, I'm trying to think of the nicest way to say this, um, strive towards perfecting. <laughs> um, it's, it's, not, it's not an easy, it's really not an easy set of, set of, it's not an easy commandment, that's the bottom line. <laughs> so what I wanted to do is explore it a little bit, just give it a philosophical context and then talk about it more practically in terms of what, what the Torah demands and expects from us. So first, I just want to share a, a little personal story. I, um, I, had to, I had a series of UTIs. There's some medical professionals in here. It's OK. <laughs> and um, I, had, I found myself in a urologist's office. Now, I didn't know anything about a urologist. I didn't realize that it's a man doctor. I didn't realize that a urologist, um, it usually, like, I was really not only the only female, but probably the youngest thing they've seen in, like, the past 35 years. Like, every, it was a, a very interesting scene in the, in the waiting room. And uh, when I finally saw the doctor, it was a very, very kind, um, just, and good bedside manner, good doctor, just great doctor. So we were speaking about my, my situation, you know, ran tests, thank God everything looks fine and normal. And I said to him, you know, I'm realizing that my mother, I remember my mother also, I remember as a kid, like all of a sudden, like the memories are flooding back. I'm sitting in, you know, in his office. And I'm like, you know, I remember my mother would get UTIs relatively frequently. Do you think my daughter is also going to be plagued by this? Like, is this a, you know, a genetic thing? And he said to me, you know, I find it very interesting that you're showing so much concern for your daughter and not so much concern for your mother. And it was the strongest piece of musar that I received in, in a long time. Um, and it, I would say, like, it, for the first time, I'm sorry to say, in my 30s, that's like the first time that I really thought of my mother as a human being <laughs> and not just my mother. Um, so it was a moment of like a paradigm shift for me. Hi. Um, now, I, I, I'm, I'm using that story kind of by way of introduction because I think for, you know, when we're talking about the subject, there has to be a little bit of a paradigm shift in terms of how we think of our parents. Um, oftentimes, and I think this is a good thing, we're, as, and I know I'm assuming no one here is a parent yet, um, but, you know, I, can, I would imagine that you would think, like, of course, when I'm, you know, married and have children, I'm going to give everything to my children, I'm going to take care of them, I'm going to do everything for them. But we don't think of that, we don't, like, transplant that, to, that, that approach to our parents. And really, from a Torah perspective, it's interesting how there's a lot more um, detail and effort put into how a child treats their parents as opposed to how a parent treats their child. So I, that just is just, you know, to keep that somewhere in the, in the background as we, as we start discussing. So what's the deal with honoring parents? 
So where, 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 do we, where do we find this commandment? Where do we find it? It's part of the Ten Commandments, right? Everybody knows it's part of the Ten Commandments. So I'm going to pass out these sheets. I wrote them, I wrote them out. Um, just take one and pass. I'm very proud of these sheets. This is the first time my husband's away, and he's my crutch, my technological crutch. And this is the first time I have made sheets by myself. Wow. So this is a major accomplishment for me. Um, and like, they're okay. I mean, I've made sheets before that were like, not so okay, but these, these, are, these are okay. Um, so, right, we see, right, these are part of the Ten Commandments. And I, I divided them into, the Ten Commandments into two sections. Right, the first five, Someone want to read real quickly? Great. Uh, I am the Lord thy God who brought thee out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. Yeah. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Honor thy father and thy mother. Okay, great. So what do we see as being a common, seems almost a common thread in the first five? They're all positive, excellent. Uh, actually, they're not all positive. <laughs> Number three is not positive. But there's something, they're really, there's something amiss. That's kind of a trick question. Between, it's between God and, right, you and God. Okay, between God, man and God, exactly. Okay, the first five appears to be between man and God, except for... Number five, okay? And typically, when, the, when the, we look at the Ten Commandments, and there's many commentators that refers to the Ten Commandments and sort of, if you even think about like whatever art, artwork you've seen and how the, the, the Ten Commandments are depicted, you have five on one tablet and five on the other. So the first five, we typically write, we refer to them as being between man and God, even though honor thy mother and father is in there. And the second five, you'll see, go ahead if you want to just continue reading. Thou shalt not murder, thou shalt not commit adultery, Thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not bear false witness against thy neighbor, thou shalt not covet anything that belongs to thy neighbor. Okay, great. Those are all between man and man. Man and man, right? So the, the, the question. Sorry? Or woman and woman. Or woman and woman, right? The generic man. <laughs> so um, right, we're left with this question of. Right, why, why would the, the commandment of honoring parents be on the side of the, right, of the commandments that are in the, the category of man and God? So that's one question that I, wanna, I, I want to explore. And the other, the other question is, in general, when we're talking about the Ten Commandments, right, what do we think, if you think of the Ten Commandments, what is, if something's part of the Ten Commandments, what, do you, what, what would that tell you? Very important, we would think, oh, these are like the 10 most important things, right? These are the things that you should really, you know, you want to be a moral person? Just worry about these 10. Everything else is kind of maybe extraneous or, you know, makes you extra special. It's extra credit, okay? But what we know also, perhaps, some of us know and some of us don't, right? The Rambam actually says that there's no commandment in the Torah that is more important than another. Okay, there's not that, that he's it's part of his uh, 13 principles of faith. All right, each commandment carries the same, the same weight. We can't measure 
which one is greater, which one is of greater importance and which one is of less importance. So then, well then what is it, what's the significance of being part of the Ten Commandments? You hear the question? So what, what, why is it, what does it mean, what does it mean to me that it's part of the Ten Commandments? So if you look at the Ten Commandments, okay, they're really, they're not, it's not that one's more important than the next, but really within these ten, all the 613 come out of these 10. These are the 10 roots where right, the rest of the commandments stem from. So when Moshe came down, when Moses came down from, from uh, right, the, the mountain, from Har Sinai, from Mount Sinai, so he came down carrying the 10 commandments, but he wasn't just carrying the 10 commandments, he was really coming down with the whole Torah. Because within those 10 commandments, the whole Torah can be extrapolated. So um, it's kind of like the genetic code for the rest of the Torah. And you can compare it to conception. When a child is conceived, so that first instant, okay, where, where the, the egg is fertilized and the sperm meets the egg, all the genetic code is contained in that, in that one you know, or two, I don't know, I'm not a biologist, how many cells are actually there, okay, but in that meeting, in that first instant, all the genetic code for the child is there. Does it look like anything recognizable? No, <laughs> okay, nothing's recognizable there in that, first, in that first moment. But really, right, time, what, once time elapses within nine months inside the mother's womb, so then, right, we see everything is there, what the, the color of the eyes, the, the gender, the shape of the nose, the personality, the intellect, everything is, is concentrated, right, very compressed in that one, right, in that, in that, initial, that initial spark. And then, as, right, throughout the gestation, that's going to be revealed. So the same thing can be said, by the way, also about creation. So our sages tell us that really there was one moment of creation. There weren't six days of creation. There was one moment of creation. God created the world in one moment. And then throughout the six days, that was like the gestation period where slowly, right, it was revealed, okay, what, what, was, what was created in that first moment. And, right, with the Ten Commandments, okay, we see this is the genetic code for everything else. And you can even go take it a step back and take it a step farther back and a step farther back, everything could be found in the first commandment and everything could be found in the word anochi, which is the first word of the first commandment, and everything can be found in that letter aleph, which is the first letter of, of the first word. So anything can be taken back to its root. So when we're looking at the Ten Commandments, we have to understand that this is not, we're not talking about these ten things being the most important things and everything else is kind of, you know, extra credit. But rather, these are the roots through which the rest of the Torah comes from, okay? Now, um, if you look, you look at um, right, the, way, the way it's set up, right, which we, we did already. So why would honoring parents, A, B, on, well, this isn't so. B-E, okay, why would number one, okay, be on the side of the, the, the commandments that are between man and God? And secondly, why is it number five? Why is it placed 
right, as number five. Why isn't it number four, number three, number one, right? What's the significance of its placement within the Ten Commandments? So the, if, you, if you break, if you really get to the core of what it means to honor, honor our parents, really what the, the goal and the, con, the philosophical context is that honoring parents should, if we, if we perform the mitzvah properly, then it should bring us back to our point of origin, which is from where? God. From God, okay? So unlike all other relationships, the relationship between parent and child really is right the the meeting point between between my relationship between God and my relationship between other people. So if a person who's sensitive and um, focused on what they're on the on the goal of the of this commandment, so eventually they'll realize, oh right, of course I didn't just appear here, right? I came from somewhere. I came from my parents. My parents came from my grandparents, my grandparents from great-grandparents and so on and so forth. I was just that, I was telling Rachel, I don't see her now, but I was, t I was telling Rachel on the way here, my, my husband's first cousin married off a daughter this past Sunday, and it, my husband still has a grandmother alive. I think she should live until 120, she should live and be well. It was the, her first, the first great-grandchild to get married. Okay, it was a very, very big, big simcha. So, right, we, we, we don't come from nowhere, right? We come from somewhere, and you can take the chain all the way back to Adam and Eve. And Adam and Eve didn't come out of nowhere, right? They came from somewhere. So eventually, that should take a person back to his roots, right, of coming from HaKadosh Baruch coming from Hashem. Now, parents are the interface between these two sets of, these, these two um, types of interactions that man has. Man with God and man with man. Um, so relating to your parents, okay, ultimately, okay, should bring you to a place of relating to Hashem. Okay, is that a stretch? Okay, that's where it should bring you if you're focused and realize the, realize the chain, okay, of where you come from. Which is why the Rambam holds, okay, and not just him, really all halachic authority holds, and we're going to make it practical shortly, that even if your parents are evil pe people, right, they're, uh, you know, they belittle and berate you, they abuse you, they beat you, doesn't matter, okay, you are still obligated in the laws of honoring them. Why? Okay, because of, only because of this reason. Because without them, you would not be here. You would, they are the sole reason for your existence. So honoring them, okay, comes, hopefully, okay, it stems from hakarat hatov, okay, from realizing the good, you know, the the gift of life that they gave you, even if they gave you nothing else. Now, I, I, I'm assuming you know most of us, if not all of us, our parents gave us more than just life. Okay, they nurtured us throughout, right? Infancy, toddlerhood, putting us through school, putting up with all of our craziness, 
okay, and everything else. Our parents have given us much more. So we're not even talking about that type of an extreme situation. So clearly we should have a lot more hakarat hatov, right, when it comes to, if we're, if we're putting that in the context of honoring our parents. Now, um, okay. When the Torah brings examples of personalities that um, personified the, the, the mitzvah of Kibbut Ava'im, it's interesting that they um, typically are, refer to non-Jews and not Jews. Okay, so who's the character in Tanakh, in Torah, that is usually referred to as someone who what, mastered the, the mitzvah of honoring parents? Anyone know? Esav, right? Esau or Esav. Okay. So, uh, just came back from seminary. <laughs> it's all fresh. <laughs> okay. So, Esav, what, 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 uh, what's one example that's brought, okay, that, that um, personified this, this mitzvah in Esav? That when he would serve his father food, when he would serve Yitzchak, he would serve Isaac food, he would change his clothing into, like, his finest clothing in order to serve his father food. Okay, right? Get like dressed up like you're going to see, uh, like, like it's Shabbos, like it's the, like you're going to see a, a minister of a country, whatever, okay? He would, this is, how, this is how he would approach just the mundane activity like feeding his father. Um, and there's many, there's many stories that are brought down in, in, um, in the Gemara and the Talmud about different personalities that, that, um, that personify this mitzvah. One very famous um, uh, episode is it about um, uh, their, the rabbi, the sages at the time, it was the time of the temple, and the sages at the time were, wanted to get a, a stone for the choshen, a garment that the, that the kohen would, would wear when he was um, doing his service in the temple. And um, they went, they, they heard that um, uh, this one, jeweler had this very precious stone and they went there to go, they went to the house to go purchase the stone. The son answered the door, Dama Bendesino answered the door and um, they said, you know, the sages said to him, you know, we would like to buy, purchase this, purchase the stone. So he said, oh, I'm so sorry, you know, my father's sleeping, I can't disturb him, right, I can't, I can't uh, interrupt his sleep. And they said, listen, actually I, I, I should, I, I don't believe, I don't know if he explained why. I don't know if he told, told the sages why he couldn't um, get his father. He just said his father was unavailable. It could be, I, I don't believe that he explained that, that his father was sleeping. So then the, the sages said, listen, we'll give you double the price, okay? Double whatever, double the amount that we, you know, the, the, that it's worth. He says, no, I'm sorry, I'm not going to, not going to wake up my father. Now, if someone came knocking on my door for um, uh, wanting to pay my husband a nice sum of money um, for anything that we have in our house, okay, <laughs> I'm sure he would be happy to um, be woken and you know receive the check. <laughs> um, but no, right? This is an example that's being brought, okay, by somebody who's not Jewish example. He's not following any laws that are explicit for him, but he realized I w I don't want to disturb my father. Now, when his father awoke, he told he told him uh, the son explained to him what what had happened, and he said, okay, go 
go after those sages and tell them to come back. I'm happy to. The father was sleeping under the, the, the he had the key underneath his pillow where the safe, for the safe where all the jewels were kept so he couldn't wake his father. But now that his father was awake, he said, please go after those sages and let's, let's sell them the stone. So um, when, when, um, when Dama Benesina went to the sages, he said to them, I'll sell it to you. My father said, well, I, I want to sell it to you for the original price that you offered, which is a fair price. I don't want to profit off of right, my father's sleep. Okay. So this is the example that's brought of right, quite a lofty level of, uh, of honoring one's parents. Didn't even want to profit off of right, his, his, fa- his father's sleep. Now, um, why is it significant that they're bringing an example, the Talmud's bringing an example of a non-Jew? Any ideas? Why not? Since when do we take, right, why do we model our, since when do we model our behavior after, after non-Jews, right? Usually we would find like a righteous person to model our behavior after. Like why are we, why are we looking for, looking to a non-Jewish example? Any ideas? Okay, that's good, right? We have to, right, there's, there's wisdom among all the, all the nations and we have to learn from everybody in our circles. Yes, anything else? It's like an extreme example, like they're giving like an extreme example in a place where you think it wouldn't apply to show how important it is. Because like if it applies like even to non-Jews and like even more so amongst the modern Jews. Okay, great. Okay, so I, I, what Sam is saying, and I'm going to say it slightly differently, is that, right, you say it again because now I'm going to say what I want like to say. Like if it applies to non-Jews, Jews, then it even, must even more, even more apply so apply to, to us. Okay, even more or more so apply to Jews. But another way of looking at it, which is in a similar vein, is this is something that is somewhat, maybe not to this degree, but somewhat intuitive. Okay, meaning, right? This is something that should be obvious. Okay, even someone who's an atheist or or a um, maybe not an atheist, but you know, um, an evolutionist. Okay, knows that I still came from somewhere. Okay, even an atheist says I still came from. I still had parents. I didn't just appear here, right? So, right, even uh, this isn't something that you have to be, you know, so spiritually sensitive to and in tune with, and it has to be explained to you because we all know if you just, you know, think a little bit, right? Then you know you came from somewhere. You didn't just appear. So that's one element. There's one other element that I want to give philosophical context to, and I think this is, for me, this was very eye-opening, and it's something I appreciated when I was preparing for this. Um, the, the commandment to honor one's parents also helps us recognize that there is a direct hashgacha a divine providence that right, God had in mind that I should be the child of these parents. Okay? Your specific parents are not just necessary in order for you to be you, because if anything was different, right, the whole right recipe would change and you wouldn't come out the way the way you are. But even more so. It is exactly what you need for you to fulfill your mission in this world. Okay? 
It's not like, oh, if only I was born into the Miller family. You know, like, their parents are so chilled. You know, like, everyone's, they're so, they're so normal, you know. <laughs> I love that word, normal. Okay, you know, like, the, 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 you know, they're pillars in their community, they support their daughter, they allow her to make mistakes, they, you know, they give her, um, you know, the financial and emotional support that she needs, you know, like, I, I don't know, like, how did God get it wrong, <laughs> like, for, for me, okay, and it's so easy, it's so easy to go down that, to go down that road, okay, so, no, okay, that's, this is exactly how it's supposed to be, you are supposed to be born to your set of parents, Okay, now that doesn't mean you have to be exactly like them, okay? You can, uh, you know, um, sharpen the pencil, okay? You know, you can, you can tweak the recipe a little bit, but you are definitely supposed to be their child. And the spirit, we see this, okay? This, not only, right, biologically, there's no way to change this, okay, right? Certainly, you can't go back and, like, you know, no, it should have been these two, and then I would come up, no, that, that's not happening. And spiritually, this is also true, right? There's an inseparable bond between parent and child. And right, how do we see this? You can never divorce, right? A child can never divorce a parent, although no one here, everyone here is pretty young. But there, what? Emancipation. Emancipation. But they're still your parents. They're so. still your parents. Um, I remember hearing a, um, a news story many years ago on uh, on the radio about um, a child who was in college and like put a restraining order against her parents because they were like following her, st stalking her. I don't know what. Okay, and, and she actually got a restraining order against them. But the bottom line is, you still there was a movie when I was growing up. It was actually she, with Drew Barrymore, and she was a little kid. Okay, in the movie, she was like really like like five or six. So, and I think it was called, it was called like I don't know, something differences. Like it, someone will Google it. But she went to court and she tried to divorce her parents. That was like that was the that was the movie. But um, right, we it, this doesn't happen. You can never just like you can't biologically divorce yourself from them. You will always have their genetic code and their you know, their, their genetic material. You also spiritually cannot ever really divorce them. You will always be connected. Now, you could throw your child out of the house, okay? You could stop paying their, you know, their bills, okay? But you can't spiritually sever yourself. Yes, Nicole? This might be a different topic and very complex, but I was just wondering, you said that we were like supposed to be born to these parents. Mm -hmm. Does that mean they were in or definitely, okay, it is a separate to topic. Okay, it is a separate topic, but there is an idea that um, when this is an area where obviously a person exercises their own free choice. Okay, who you marry is you. You have to decide to marry that person. We'll see. Even when it comes to the laws of honoring parents, you don't have to listen to your parents when it comes to a marriage partner halakhically. Although obviously everything. We'll speak about it more in detail, but um, there, there's, an, there's an idea um, that when a couple, when a man and woman come underneath the chuppah, there is a spiritual reconfiguration of, of the soul that comes together. So that union 
that spiritual union happens and, ha and, and you know, again, doesn't mean that what's the divorce rate, what is the, how does divorce work, so sometimes a marriage could have worked and it, they just didn't put in the effort, okay? Um, but there is this idea that when there's a merit, when there's a chuppah, there's a spiritual reconfiguration for these souls to come and together and join each other in, in, as one whole soul as opposed to two half souls. And obviously, if there's a, a get, right, if there's a, a, a halachic divorce, so then that spiritual reconfiguration is now reconfigured, <laughs> and there is a there's there's a spiritual separation between the two of them. Yes. Okay, so we're going to speak about it, but not. We'll speak about it. Okay, we'll speak about it. Okay. Um, so, okay, so the the idea that I want to just focus on here is that when you're giving your parents respect, when you're when you are fulfilling this mitzvah of kibbutz aim and showing them honor, you are also affirming the divine providence, right? Hashem's direct hashgacha. Right, that this is exactly where I need to be. Okay, the person who I am is largely because of my parental lineage and influence. And by the way, no matter how hard we try to um, say, you know, I'm not like that, or this is not, and, and you don't have to be. By the way, I'm not saying, you know, if a, if a, if a parent has a, you know, a temper issue, you don't have to have a temper issue. Unless you're not locked in necessarily. But the, the household in which you grew up is, it's almost impossible, it shapes the way your, your lens and the way you view the world and your perspective. So right, that is unique to you, okay? And there's a reason why God put you in that household so that you should be able to bring to the world that unique perspective, okay? So when we are honoring our parents, we're also giving, you know, validity, so to speak, to that and saying that, right, yes, I acknowledge the divine providence that had to be in place in order for me to come into the world. Yes? Um, I don't know if you're going to talk about it in the future, but just in terms of like honoring, like to break that down on a practical Yeah, level. we're going to talk about it. Okay. At, right inside, okay? We're getting there right now. Okay. Now, um, okay. I think oftentimes when we approach, well, we're going to get practical now, right? Oftentimes when we intellectually approach the idea of like what it means to honor one's parents. So, you know, um, I remember when I was, um, you know, when I was first married and we, my husband and I spent time, or we spent a few years, four years um, living in, in Israel and my husband was studying in yeshiva there and um, not with like, tremendous support from either of our parents on any level um, and even though they were fine and accepted and we're all lovey-dovey and hunky-dory now okay somewhere in the clouds right <laughs> like some imaginary picture no it's all good it's all good <laughs> um, it's not exactly happily ever after but we're working on it we're working on it so <laughs> um, but my I remember um, my mother-in-law presenting the argument, you know, what about, on, like, how could you go to Israel? Like, what about honoring your parents, right? Like, what, okay, right, they could always throw that one back at you. They don't know what honoring is. Okay, so we, that's why what I want to do for the remainder of our time together is to really understand what does, what does it mean? Does it mean I have to listen to everything that, the, that, that they tell me to do? 
Okay? I don't know. Okay? <laughs> so, um, and it's certainly, okay, I, it's not about an emotional reverence. You don't have to look up to your parents necessarily. Again, right, let's go back to what right, the Rambam says. Even if your parents were, you know, abusive, verbally, emotionally, physically, you still are obligated. So it has no, the, the way that you view them as individuals also has limited bearing on, on, on practically what this mitzvah does for us. Limited bearing, it has some bearing, okay. So there's two basic halachic phases of this, of this mitzvah, okay? There is yira, which means awe, reverence, respect, okay? Or not respect, that's not a fear, okay? And then there is kibud, okay? Kavod, okay? Which is the positive side, right? Kavod means, is typically translated as honor, okay? But it comes from the word, I know what, what's, what the, the root is, what the, the showash is of the word kavod, what? Kaved. Kaved, right, which means heavy, okay? Meaning we have to treat our parents with a, a, a heaviness, a seriousness, right? This is not a joke, right? This is, this is, this is very serious business. So we have to appreciate like, what, that, what that demands of us, okay? So um, if you, let, let's just look here for a minute. Um, now, the, the word that's used in the Ten Commandments, okay, I only have it in English and over here, but on the next page, if you just want to, I'm not going to, we're going to go back to the first page in a second, but it, the first page, hey, what happened to, sh oh, no, 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 the bottom of this, the bottom of the first page, okay, sorry, the bottom of the first page, it says Shemot, okay, um, Exodus, chapter 20, verse 12, Kabed et avicha ve'et imecha. Right? Honor your father and your mother. Okay? In, right? Laman ya'arichun yamecha al hazamash ya'ashem alokecha notenlach. Okay? In order that um, your days should be lengthened on the land uh, that Hashem, your God, is giving you. Now, okay, again, it's brought, there's three places where this idea of honoring your par parents is brought. You turn the page, number three. In Dvarim, this is in the, the second time you received the, the Ten Commandments, because remember, Moshe came down and he broke them. We saw we were committing the sin of the golden calf. So we came down with the second set. And then this, this Pasuk is from Dvarim. Okay, it's very similar language. Honor your father and your mother as the Lord commanded you in order that your days be lengthened and that it may go well with you on the land that the Lord your God is giving you. And then there's one other place, okay, where it talks about this idea of honoring parents, but the word honor is not used, rather the fear, or this word yira is used, is that's the verb. It says, ish imo aviv tira'u. Tira'u, okay, it means fear, okay, um, yira, okay, is the, is the, right, fear, so tira'u, Right? Every man shall fear his mother and his father, and you shall observe my Sabbaths. I am the Lord your God. So there's two elements here. One is the element of kavod, right? Honor, the positive things. Like this is the, they, they demand a certain respect and honor. And on the other hand, we're also supposed to approach them with a certain amount of reverence. Now, if we're going to think, right, think about this in terms of our relationship with Hashem, 
There are also two mediums through which we relate to Hashem. Okay, what are those two mediums? Anyone want to shout out? Okay, fear, right, yira and ahava, okay, which is this, this idea of fear and love, okay, which mirrors this, this relationship also, right, in, in our parents. There's also an element of fear and this honor, this, this love, okay, I'm ex- extant, ex- uh, expanding the, the, the way we would define it. Okay, so let's look practical, what are my practical obligations? So this is from Shulchan Aruch, right? This, if you go back to the first page, source number one, okay? The Shulchan Aruch tells us exactly what does fear mean and what does honor mean, practically, okay? How does that translate into real life mitzvah? Does it mean, how could you go to Israel? I, you have to listen to your parents and I said not to go, okay? Is that, is that included in the mitzvah? of honoring or fearing, okay, our, our parents. So first, okay, when it broaches the subject, um, when the Shulchan Aruch broaches the subject of, um, of the, the mitzvah of, of Kibbutz Ve'im, it starts out by saying, right, that one must be very fastidious in the honoring of his father and mother and being in awe of them, okay? So what does fastidious mean? SAT words, college grads. <laughs> yeah, you, ha- yeah, you have to be conscientious. You have to be right, right on top of your game. Okay, like this is something you have to put all your energy into. This, okay, this is so. This mitzvah, even though there's going to be specific, um, practical, um, halachic. Um, requirements that, that are understood from this mitzvah, there's another element here, which is, you know what? This is a mitzvah you have to go above and beyond also, okay? And there's um, a, an episode, another episode that's brought in the Talmud about Rabbi Tarfon, Rabbi Tarfon, okay? And what was, what's the story that's brought about him? This is a Jewish example, not a non-Jewish example. He was actually one of the, one of the um, sages of the, of the Talmud. So here, his mother's shoes, something happens to his mother's shoes. I don't know if they broke or they, she lost them. And she, he would not allow his mother to step on the ground until on her way home. So he would put his hands underneath her feet as she would walk, okay? He would not allow his mother's feet to touch the ground. So her son became, her son became, Rabbi Tarfin was ill. And um, the mother called the sage and said, please pray for my son. You know, in, in the merit, uh, you know, he was, he was fulfilled the mitzvah of kibbara ve'im, so, you know, with, with, with such um, zealousness, you know, zealousness, his reason was, you know, quick to do it, and he did it with love, and, you know, please, please pray for him. So they said, well, really, how did he fulfill this mitzvah of, of, of honoring parents? Like, what exactly did he do? And she described how he would make sure she would never walk on the ground if her husband if her son was with her right her his hands would you know bear the brunt of her of her weight and the terrain and everything else so he, the the sages said back to her even if he would have done that a thousand times right in a thousand right a, a thousand times as well he would not have begun to fulfill the mitzvah of okay so we're talking about something that could be done right to quite an extreme, okay? This isn't something like, okay, once I fulfill these halachic requirements, 
I'm done necessarily. Okay, so that's the significance of just the first part. So now he's going to get into what exactly is yira? What is awe? So when the Torah says, yes, you have a commandment, tira'u, fear them, okay, what does that mean? So does somebody want to read? Everyone with me? We're okay? Mm-hmm. We're all with me now, but soon, oh boy. <laughs> okay, what does what, somebody read? No, it says, where it says, Saif 2, what is considered awe? Yeah, great. Alana. What is considered awe? He shall not stand in the place set aside for his father, to stand in stage council with his colleagues, or in a special place for prayer. Okay, hold. Oh, wait, one, keep going, sorry. And he shall not sit in his special place to recline in his house. Okay, pause. Okay, so the first thing is. If your parent, this is for a father or a mother, if your parent has a special place where he or she stands, okay, maybe, you know, in, I, I can't think of a place for standing personally, but I don't know, maybe there was like people didn't have as many couches and they like, <laughs> stood in a certain area, okay, but like typically like, you know, it's not, not um, bizarre for a parent to have a seat, whether it's at the dining table or like, you know, I think of, I'll date myself again, Archie Bunker. Okay, um, you know, is that an Archie Bunker? Yeah. Okay, great. <laughs> Nick at night or something, you have, right? <laughs> so, um, okay, right, Archie Bunker had a chair. Okay, right, so you don't sit in your parents' place, okay? Or, okay, in their place of, they have a special place for prayer. So let's say in the synagogue, they have a special seat. You would not be allowed to sit in their, in their seat in the synagogue either, okay, or in the place of study. Wherever is known, like, this is my dad's seat or this is my mom's seat, we don't sit in that seat out of kavod. Okay. Sorry, out of yira, not, not, not kavod. Okay, what's the next? Next part. And shall not contradict his words and not rule regarding his words in front of him, even to say, my father's words are sensible. Okay, pause. This is really big. <laughs> okay, and this is where perhaps my mother-in-law, okay, I can't contradict her, okay? So what, so what does it mean? It means, first of all, and realize what he's saying, what the Shulchan Aruch is saying here, saying first, we cannot contradict his words, okay? Even, we also cannot agree with his words. To say, to say right, what is it? my father's words are sensible. Okay, so what does this mean? Okay, any ideas? You can't judge their words. You can't judge their words. So contradict is very straightforward, you can't contradict. So if dad says, or mom says, um, you know, um, the milk is in the fridge, you cannot say the milk is not in the fridge. Even Even if you're right, you cannot, what could you say? I can't the find the milk. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but you won't, you, you cannot contradict them, even if you are right. So you have to figure out, you have to be a little creative and figure out a way of saying it in a way that's not a contradiction. You also, this is pretty big, right? <laughs> Told you you were not going to be with me for very long. So the other element that he's bringing out here is that you can't even say, let's say you're at the table 
and uh, you know your father is expressing um, an opinion about um, Obama's health care, and someone else is disagrees about you know he's all for you know no Obama's the best and this health care system you know Obamacare is awesome and you know it's going to save America. If you agree with your father, you wouldn't even be able to say my father is a hundred percent right. Obamacare stinks. You wouldn't now why not? Yeah. Because he doesn't need you he doesn't need your approval. Great. He doesn't need your approval and it's as if you're trying to put yourself on equal footing with him and you're not. He's not your friend and he never will be. Okay, and this is something that also is a, it's a paradigm shift I think also for, for us. I, um, you know, I, I, I'm certainly not the best daughter and I'm definitely not the best parent. However, <laughs> for better or worse, the one thing I do not have tolerance for for my children is chutzpah, okay? That's my like big no-no. It's probably also because I grew up in a house that had no tolerance for chutzpah, which is a good thing when it comes to um, the laws of Kibbut aim because it's good training. But you know, I have found myself saying the words to children who are, have to be taught because they're learning. They have to, this is something that the child doesn't necessarily know. They have to be taught. I've caught myself saying to my daughter, you know, when, her, when she was younger, like, you know, five, six, seven, I am not your friend. You cannot talk to me like that, okay? But they have to know that there's a different role. I want to be, I want you to be able to share things with me, but you will, I will never be your friend. Uh, you, you can't treat me like you would treat a friend. You can't talk to me in that way, and there has to be a distinction in a child's eyes that this, there, there are certain lines we just don't cross when it comes to our parents. So even when you would think it would be, oh, I, it's like I'm praising, my, why, why wouldn't he want praise? Why wouldn't, why wouldn't a parent want to feel like my, chi my child agrees with me? So what you could do, what's another way, a savvy, creative way of, of not verbally saying my father is right. Disagreeing also with the other. Exactly. Guy. That guy's an idiot. You know, no problem. Like, that's fine. Okay, but you can't say my, right, you wouldn't be able to be in agreement with, the, with your father or your mother. Okay. Next, Alana. Um, and he shall not call him by name, not during his life nor his death. And he shall say, my father, my master. Okay. We do not, <laughs> which is amazing, right? Now, there are certain things, by the way, that, that a parent can forego in terms of his honor. Okay, there, are, there are certain things that, that a parent could forego. So a parent could forego saying, you know, my master. That's a, a past, you know. I'm sure there are plenty of parents who would forego that honor. Um, <laughs> you, it could be. I, I don't think you have to say, "My father, my master," but you certainly cannot call your call a parent by their first name. In fact, you should never say their name in their presence. Even if someone was in the room and asking you, "What's your father's name?" You cannot say it. Okay. What is this? Um, I don't know. Yeah, you say I. I. I don't know. Spell it. <laughs> okay. You know, A L B E R T, right? That's my dad's <laughs> name. Um, but you would not be able, you not be able to, Wait, to sit. Because that's considered disrespect. Why? Okay, to sit, call, to even refer to your father. But 
Now, I'll give you an example. It's a very interesting thing. Call your teacher. But they do that. Oh, school's mom, mom, she doesn't listen to me. Go, Gail, Gail, Gail. Right. Right, so you really, you're not supposed to. Now, it's interesting. I actually am just thinking about it because you just said this. Sometimes when I don't pay attention or there's a lot of background noise or I'm not ignoring, but there's just other things happening. So I've seen my, one of my daughters recently saying, Mommy Abragamov. Mommy, because there's other mommies. Mom. Now, the truth is, I think that's okay, but I, I'm, I, because it's not, it's not a first name. It's not, it's her name. It's all of our names, you know. So I think that that would probably be, I think, but I should probably look into it. But the thing. really honoring you. Well, that, I maybe I'm not sure. <laughs> She's actually quite annoyed. <laughs> but um, I I went to a school for um, for a short while and uh, I grew up in Cleveland. A school called uh, Agnon after Shai Agnon. It was an Israeli school. It was meant to be. It was a, a non-affiliated day school. So the school wasn't it wasn't reform. It wasn't conservative. It wasn't orthodox. It just was Jewish. Even though I would say most people who attended were probably conservative. Um, and but the style of the school was meant to be like Israeli kibbutz. Okay, that was the way it was it was run, and we called our teachers by their first names. Uh, what Hashel does the same. Okay, my father thought this was the most horrific, disgusting practice that a school. How could they call themselves an educational institution? Okay, where, where a, a child, a student, refers to their teacher by their first name. Okay? Did you say Laura first? No. Pat, Barbara. <laughs> like, that was like, that, I mean, you know, that, that's how we refer to our teachers. Okay, and, and, and this was offensive. Okay, my father grew up in a, like a British school system, you know, like boarding, it wasn't a boarding school, but it was, it, it, you, you know, this was not the way, you were paddled, okay, you know, like this was not the way you ran a school, okay, so, you know, but there, but there is this, I do think that, again, we're, we, we live in, in a society, in a generation where we're used, you know, we're, we're kind of breaking, it's normal for some of those barriers to be broken down, and similar, not just between student and teacher, but between parent and child, where there is, I do want to nurture a friendship between myself and my, and my children. I want there to, uh, on some level, I want, excuse me, I want, us to, I want them to be able to share things with me. I want them to be able to, you know, um, you know laugh with me and, and chill with me. And yet, there has to be a line, okay? So this name is one of the lines, uh, this, uh, referring to a parent by name. Um, and it goes on, I'll just finish this quickly, right? If his father's name was the same as the name of others, he should change their names. If it, it, is, if it is an unusual name that people are used to using. I feel like this was not copied correctly, but I'm not exactly sure what it's saying. But I'll, I'll tell you in my own words what it means, because I'm not exactly sure, unless I read it wrong. But basically, let's say you, your, your father's name is David, okay? And David's like a pretty popular name. And you have a friend named David that comes over all the time. So if your dad David and your friend David are in the house, you should not call your friend David by his name in your father's presence. Okay? You should come up with another name. Dudu is what they do in Israel. <laughs> okay? Or, you know, whatever. D, I don't know, come up with something 
Davey. So it could be that that's one of the reasons, but that's not a. By the way, that's not. A yeah, I mean, like it is brought down that right. one should one should not, but that's certainly not a reason not for a shidduch to go through. Yeah. Um. So the idea of like you're not supposed to like call your parent by their name. Um. Like originally you said like the whole idea of honoring your parents is to know your roots and mm -hmm. all that stuff. So if your name is like your essence, that's really like your root. So that's I beautiful. Be able to, like, relate to that oh, one. I'm thinking like just like we think about it this way. We don't say Hashem's name, right? We don't know the the meaning when we say. Amonai, right? Okay, with a D instead of an M. Okay, so that's not really his name. We don't say the, I don't know how to say the name, Tetramagon or something, Tetram yeah. whatever, okay? You know what I'm talking about? There's actually a name of God, and we do not pronounce that name. Okay, so I'm thinking about it differently, okay? There's an element of like, I don't even go there. That's like too deep and too personal, and where there's too much respect. I wouldn't even go into that personal space. Okay. Okay. Um, one other thing, because um, this isn't all inclusive, but it's pretty inclusive, but not all inclusive. When a parent comes in, enters, or leaves um, your presence, get up. <laughs> okay. Now. <laughs> okay. By the way, some parents would really appreciate this. Some parents would appreciate this. Okay, some parents, like me, some parents would be a little taken aback. So, now, so the truth is, again, a parent can forego this. Halakhically, a parent can forego this. However, okay, it's brought down in halakha that if there would be a, a stranger walks into the house and doesn't know that this parent has, you know, for, foregone this um, act of service, he should he should get up when when the stranger walks in the room because they, they don't know they just think you're being disrespectful because you're not getting up in front of right when you when your parent walks into the room now if you're in the living room and they're in the kitchen and you're in and out you're in and out you don't have to like bop up you're not doing bobs in the you know in the pool um, <laughs> but okay right and I do believe for Ashkenazim interesting again you see like just cultural differences and. Um, you know how when, uh, how we approach these things. That Ashkenaz is like once in the m like morning and once in the evening, and for Spartan it's a little bit more stringent. But those details can be can be worked out. Again, I'm mentioning all these things, but you know we're if again if the, a parent would be y y a parent can forego can forego these things. Yes, Alana. So that's kind of my question. Like, can a parent forego not everything? No, but they can't forego everything. Yes. Yeah. Um, so basically, t usually the typical rule of thumb is they can forego um, kavod, but they can't forego yira. Okay. Oh. That's typical. Now, but there are, again, that's an. But we see like a, a parent could say, "You do not have to get up every time I walk into the room." Okay. Again, and I think in our generation and society that's not even a norm. I, I, okay, again, you know, I'm, I'm remembering, I'm so happy I have memories because I have a really bad memory, <laughs> like something's actually coming back. When I was in high school, I was in public high school, and a boy from India came to, he moved, okay, and came to our high school. And when he would get up, when he would ask the teacher a question, I'll never forget this in calculus, he would, before he would speak, he would stand and then he would address the teacher, okay? 
So this is, and, and eventually, like, he sat because it was weird, okay? But, okay, again, in, in historically, in other cultures, like, this is considered normal, right, you know, expressions of respect. We just happen to live in a very different society and generation. Yeah. So with, like, a lot, of, like, I would say of all these things, they're very, like, they're very specific to, like, a framework where these things are normal. Right. But like what you said before, like your parents are like, oh, you can't go to Israel, like you're not honoring us. Right. So they kind of like use honor as like an emotional thing, like whatever we feel like is honor is honor. Right. So like, and I feel like to explain that, to be like, well, actually honoring is standing up yeah. in the room and has nothing to do with whether or not, you know, I go to Israel or I right. do Shabbat, whatever. How do you like explain that right. in an honor? So this is, this is something where there's, you know, we say, you know, um, common sense isn't so common. <laughs> um, we, we need to, you know, what, there's going to be so many sticky situations, okay, for I'm sure many of us, myself included, in the room. Okay, what about that, um, you know, I, I had a very difficult time when I was coming back from, I was visiting from Israel, and I was, of course I'm going to spend Shabbat, and how, like, if I'm home for visiting, I'm not going to take my my children, they're my parents' grandchildren, and go somewhere else for Shabbat. But that would be really an affront and obnoxious. And, and yet I was in my parents' house, and my dad wanted to watch the game. And like, this is not exactly the kind of um, Shabbat atmosphere I was like trying to you know, have for my family. Um, and you know, we, we're gonna find ourselves in lots of sticky situations. So we, it has to be done with, with care, sensitivity, and common sense. Meaning if you know, you, you, and I, I can't even give you a recipe because every dynamic is so different and different things will set off parents. And it, you know, you, so you have to know your situation. But you know, yeah, you could go to Israel and it's not it's something that, and you know, that I, I wouldn't, you know, whatever. We went to Israel and my husband and I went to Israel despite the you know protests from both sides, um, and I think it was the right thing to do. I know, looking back, I mean, it clearly was the right thing to do. And yet, I know there's a famous story also about a, a, a student who a Balshuva who wanted to go and study in, in yeshiva in Israel, and the parents were adamant that the that the his, his their son not not go. He went to Rav Moshe Feinstein, who was a you know. A, Leader, uh, leading uh, halachic decisor in America, passed away in the 80s, um, and they presented him with this question. You know, what what do I do? And um, Moshe Feinstein actually told. This was a time when there weren't as many um, institutions as there are now in Israel that could accommodate, you know, a, a someone a, a newly um, observant you know, young man who wants to really develop himself and his skills in, in yeshiva. And Ramosha finally told him not to go to Israel and to go to Gateshead. And he didn't, you know, so it's not always 100% clear either, on either either way. And, it, you know, apparently this, you know, he's like, uh, was the best thing for him. It was, he was able to acclimate more. The language helps, everything. So it's not always so cut and dry and so clear that, yeah, you have to, I should disobey my parents right. or contradict my parents. Right. So it's something that, you know, you definitely, it's good to have an objective voice, sometimes a, a rabbinic, uh, you know, opinion, you know, could be involved. Okay. I have a question. Yeah. 
what if you're, what if they're in the room first? Like, so you're walking, let's say they're, they're sitting down on the couch, you're walking in the room, then you're, you're that's fine. Okay. Yeah, that's fine. You're good. Yeah. Okay. So to what extent, okay? So I'm just going to read through this quickly because we basically, we spoke about it a little bit, but it says Seif number, 3, to what extent is the awe of them, right? To, to what degree do I have to go? So if a son was wearing nice clothes and sitting in front of the community and his father and mother arrived and tore his clothes and hit him on his head and spit on his face, the son should not embarrass them but should rather be silent and be in awe of the king of kings. Who's he referring to? Who's the Shulchan Aruch referring to? God, okay? Because again, there's, it's, it's clear that my parents are right uh, just a one link in the chain that takes me to God. Okay, be in awe of the King of Kings who commanded to do so thusly. Okay, so does that mean right if you're in a corporate meeting and your you know probably mentally ill parent comes in and starts you know berating you and you know throwing uh, soda and who knows you know like hitting you? Yes, you would have to stand there and take it without saying anything, but it doesn't mean that you couldn't tell the security guard, by the way, when Mr. and Mrs. Uh, Smith, uh, you know, try to come into the building, do not let them in, okay? You can protect yourself, okay? If there's financial damages that your parents <coughs> cause, you can take them to Basin, okay? And you can, obviously, in a respectful way, and when they walk into Basin, you have to stand up for them, okay? But Right, you can you can try to you know you, you can pr you can protect yourself after the fact. You can you can take the, the appropriate steps. Yeah. So, just let you know, I this is really hard for me to like. I can't process. Yeah, yeah. Like, okay, that's fine. Abusive parent to take the abuse. Right. That sounds a little crazy. But it doesn't mean you can't protect yourself. By right, the way. So, okay, so you take them to Basin, and then your father says, "No, I didn't do that." So I, I hope that in a basin, you know, uh, you know, in an upright court, Jewish court, that there would be, you know, you would be able to, um, you know, so make your case. You can't contradict them. So, so you free, again, I can't find the milk. It's not, the milk is not in the fridge. There's, a, there's ways to do it. Okay. <laughs> it is crazy. No, it's very, it's really big. It's very crazy. Now, again, when it comes to even taking care of the way that you'll have to, we'll see now what kavod means and how we have to care physically care for our parents. If you, if being in that relationship is too difficult for you to be there, whether it's physically, emotionally, or for any other reason, you could have a proxy do it. Okay, you could appoint someone to do it. It doesn't mean you have to put yourself in harm's way. But when, if you find yourself in a situation where they're inflicting harm, okay, you, you again, and me, I, I'm, I'm assuming you could go like this, you know, if they're coming at you with, you know, in their self-defense, okay, but, um, but we have to be careful. We'll see also, right, there's actually three other things that are mentioned in the Torah. We cannot um, uh, strike, um, curse, or dishonor right or uh, belittle okay degrade them okay which are there's are those are Torah commands which you'll see on the last page yeah what about to save a life then 
Yeah, I would imagine, like, in what, meaning if they're coming at you with, like, with an axe at your throat? Yeah, yeah like, you know. Shem, these are not my problem. Yeah, thank God. No, 100%. So much, but, like, imagine, like, a little brother situation. I just watch a show. So okay. <laughs> um, like, a little brother, like, you don't know how much a little kid can take, right? So, God forbid, a parent is hitting a little boy. Right. So, like, it really a hundred percent. I mean, I, I unfortunately it wasn't a show, but um, I, I received a phone call to um, I teach brides, and someone I received a phone call if I would have time to um, study with a girl who was not yet a bride, um, but wanted to felt that she needed to go through these, you know, this topic more in depth. She was sexually abused by by her by her father, okay, and you know yeah, I, you can protect right. So uh, the truth is, okay, I'm not a halachic authority. I did not explore that that particular question. Be, of course, a person can protect themselves. It doesn't you know? I, I I don't know how that looks in real time. Meaning, I don't know if that means um, you know. You are exploitative, exploitative, get off of, you know, like, you know, I don't, I don't know, like, I don't, but I, of course, a person can protect themselves. I don't know, it would probably have to be discussed how one maneuvers in that, in that situation in the most appropriate way possible. But yeah, it, it's crazy. <laughs> when you think if in, in, it would be, it sounds very bizarre in that situation. And yet, we still, we're, we're, again, you are, at the, if you just, the raw bones is that they are the link in the chain for my existence, period. It has nothing to do with how morally upstanding they are, what, you know, anything else that they've given me after I came into this world, <laughs> you know, if they gave me nothing and only caused me harm, it has nothing to do with anything else. Okay. Yeah. But isn't there something that they're like actually be abusive, you could separate yourself. Yes, 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 yes. So a person can, you could tell the security guard, do not let them exactly. in the building. Right. Okay, you, you can know. protect yourself, right. for sure. Like you don't even need to have, a, like, honestly, you don't even need to have, like, a relationship with them. Like, as long as, like, let's say you separate yourselves from them, but, like, you don't speak about them badly, or, like, you don't go and try to, like, you don't try to, like, ruin their lives. Like, right, exactly, like, exactly. Or, like, if they're physically abusive. Or, then like, you or run away. Right, exactly. Yes. Yeah. Right, so you just honor them from like afar. Exactly. Okay, and you can send a proxy to take care of their needs if necessary. Okay, it doesn't have to be you. You don't have to love your parents. And by the way, when you send, you don't, you don't even have to pay for them. Right, you don't have to love them. Right. Okay, nowhere in halacha does it say you have to love them. Isn't that interesting? Okay. Um, but you also are not financially responsible for them. Meaning, even if you're sending a proxy, it comes from, it can come from their finances doesn't have to be your, your financial burden. So if they don't have money, okay, and you, right, so this is what it's talking about when you're taking care of their physical needs. Obviously, if they can get dressed themselves, you don't need to dress them. Um, that would probably be insulting and demeaning. Um, but, okay, if you, if they needed an aid, okay, and they, you know, it can come from their bank accounts. If they don't have the finances, of course, the respectable, nice thing to do would be for you to pay, pay for it. That doesn't come. That doesn't fall. You, you paying for it doesn't fall under the mitzvah category of kibbutz avayim. It comes out of your tzedakah money. That's your, you know, that's your charity.
You're not financial. You're not obligated to, you know, accumulate a financial loss. Okay. Um, okay. Four. C four. What is honoring? I have no idea where we are in time. Anyone know? Are we okay? Wow. It's actually kind of late. I'll finish with this. Okay. What is honoring? He feeds him and gives him drink and dresses and covers. Okay. Basically, taking care of their physical needs. Okay. He welcomes and escorts out, which I guess I, I think it's, um, it's debated, I guess it falls into the category of honoring as opposed to awe, right? The getting up, escorting them out and bringing them in, or getting up when they enter and when they leave. Okay, so we're talking about taking care of their basic physical, um, physical needs, okay? And he will give to him with a happy demeanor, uh, such that even if the son feeds fattened livestock on each day, and shows the father an angry demeanor, punishment is brought upon him. So meaning even if you're feeding your father, but you're doing it with like annoyed and like a nasty attitude, okay, you're culpable, okay? Technically you might be fulfilling the, the mitzvah of feeding him, but you will be, but you are culpable, okay, you know, in uh, the, heavenly, the heavenly court. And the opposite is also true. Even if you're making them do something that they, is painful, or um, you know, let's say a medical treatment that is unpleasant for a parent, but you're you know trying to make it as positive an experience as possible with a you know a smiling face and, and warm comforting words. So that's also obviously you know uh, that's the flip side where a person is rewarded for that. Okay, I'm gonna end here because I know it's very late. Um, and obviously, if there's any questions, I'm happy to take any questions. Just so you know, you can look on your own on the next page. Um, the the I is the the Rashi who's the like I guess key commentator on the on Torah. In the, he, when he he explains certain concepts that will that you might be familiar with, are just interesting to read on your on your own. Thank Have a you. wonderful night. My pleasure. Thank you.